John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 692.ju0113, certificate number 31644, Kohotek. I hope that uh, this comet um, gives us uh, some information, perhaps, perhaps many information about, perhaps in the explanation of the questions concerning the evolution and uh, um, origin of the solar system and that case would be I hope very important for, for mankind also you know an interesting thing about assembling these recordings is that not only do we not know who we may be talking to or indeed if we're being heard at all but we don't know when we have no idea of the time frame at which you whoever you are are hearing our voices like it's not clear whether you know the people listening to this are listening 40 years from now after some very immediate <laughs> some very immediate radioactive calamity. Right. Or if this is literally a million years hence and there's been like all kinds of heating and cooling cycles and finally the glaciers have melted, revealing the massive granite mountain where all this has been carved, you know. Right, right, right. But, Somewhere ages and ages hence. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, but it would be nice to think that someone in the year 77,000, more okay, or less, is right. listening to this. 77,000 by our reckoning. By yes. our current re reckoning. Common era, mm -hmm. as you say, if you're a new atheist, mm -hmm. that someone is listening to this because it will be very relevant. The, the period of the comet we call Kohotek is thought to be about 75,000 years. So Kohotek is a comet uh, that has visited Earth. Yes. And you're suggesting that maybe this podcast will help them the next time the comet comes around. It will come back in around 77,000 years, okay. or 75,000 years from now, from the day we're speaking. And uh, it will be very timely then. You know, I hope, we're, I hope we're just in time for that news hit. I remember uh, I was a child when the comet Kohotek came the first time. And I remember that was back when there were only three television stations. So when a comet came, it was really in the newspapers. It was a big deal. It was a huge deal at the time. Uh, which is more interesting than the comet itself is the kind of furor it caused in society. In March 1973, when young John Roderick was... Uh, five years old. Five years old. A Czech scientist 
named Lubos Kohotek. You're going to like this. There's a Central European hook. Yeah, Lubos Kohotek. You're into this already. You know, Kohotek sounds like uh, like an Aztec or a, a Mayan name. Sure, right? the, the Kohoteks, the yeah. mysterious, <laughs> mysterious death of the Kohoteks, <laughs> le- leaving their stone ziggurats in the jungle. <laughs> they disappeared after Pizarro landed. <laughs> uh, but Kohotek is actually a Czech name. In this Kohotek case. is not a Gu- Guatemalan uh, <laughs> ruin. It's a nice Czech man who's working at an observatory in Hamburg, West Germany. And while he's looking at plates of something, another discovery that he's more interested in, an asteroid, he sees a dot he can't explain and realizes he has discovered. Who hasn't, right? I mean, you you reach a certain age. (laughs) Ask, yeah. (laughs) Please consult the dermatologist (laughs) if you see a Kohotek on you right now. But he believes he's discovered a new comet. It was not there before. And notifies the scientific community and suddenly, the world is abuzz with the idea, for some reason, of this little dot that he's seen on a piece of paper. It's not just the scientific and astronomic community that's abuzz, but it, it percolates out into the world of lay people. It starts with scientists. And then you get the pop science pieces in, in Newsweek and in the New York Times. Right. Back when people read those magazines. <laughs> yeah, we should probably explain. <laughs> to... Listen, there was a time when Newsweek and Time magazine were in competition with one another, like Coke and Pepsi. Time was always the Coke. Newsweek was always Newsweek the Pepsi. Newsweek is the off-brand one. And U.S. News and World Report is like RC Cola. Like it's yeah, a little bit suspect. And that came later too. I, I never knew anybody that had that except a dentist's office. You think that's some kind of weird USA Today late yeah. period yeah, yeah, arrival. Yeah. But I, I feel see. like Time Magazine was the was the edifice and Newsweek seemed a little bit more rock and roll. Sure, because you can imagine Time with like Churchill on the cover. Yeah. You know, Time goes back to the 20s. Yeah. And Newsweek is definitely, you know the sketchy off-brand one. Well, it's just, it's right in the, right in the title, like Time or Newsweek. Right. It's just it, not the same. It's almost same. like it should have the capital W, you know, in the <laughs> yeah. middle of the word. Yeah. And the logos back then, the Time had the very stentorian red thing that you, you know, it was like some font you'd see on the Lincoln Memorial. And Newsweek was this chunky thing with these massive square serifs. Yeah. That really looked like some me generation <laughs> piece of crap. You Hashtag know? Newsweek. <laughs> uh, but, but very definitely at the time, if, if Time magazine wrote a, like a pop science article about a comet, you could be assured that 100 million people would, at the end of that week, be aware of it. This is something we're explaining, not just to people 77,000 years from now. This is something we're explaining to people seven months from now. There used to be print magazines. You're not going to believe it. And everybody read them. Those little subscription cards were everywhere. They just flew around like snow. It was like Neil deGrasse Tyson saying something about, you know, about this comet. But even that, it wouldn't have the same reach as Time. No, and Kohotek was on the cover of Time magazine. Wow. And at the end of 1973, uh, there's a big Time cover package on the Fords, newly in the White House, or not in the White House, newly uh, Vice President Ford. Mm -hmm. That is right, right? Yeah, he would have become president shortly thereafter. But he was... The following spring, uh, right? Spiru Agnew had just resigned the vice presidency because he was under indictment for tax fraud, and Ford was our new vice president. So there's a cover package on Gerald and Betty Ford, and in the lower left, there is a inset saying, special... Comet uh, section, you know, like that's the big draw. A comet that no one has seen, a faint blur on some Czechoslovakian guy's astronomical plate. And yet people start going crazy over it. Because why? Because it's being hyped as what? It's going to be big. Um, 
whatever science that so these comets come from the Oort cloud which lies out beyond the orbit of Neptune. You know, the solar system is a big plane. It's essentially a flat disk. The planet's all orbiting around the sun in the same plane. But not the Oort cloud. The Oort cloud's a big sphere of big chunks of ice and dust out way far beyond, farther than we've ever sent any probe, but still technically part of the solar system in a sense. Yeah. And it's in our, so this is, is the Oort cloud between the solar system and Uranus? <laughs> uh, Uranus. <laughs> We should probably say to avoid kind is of is that right? Is that of, the is that the commonplace or the, the accepted nomenclature? Uranus. No, I think it's overcorrecting by ninth, yeah. ninth grade science teachers who are tired Uranus. of the jokes. I mean, that has the word urine in it. It's no better than Uranus. You're right. It's worse. It sounds yeah. like an adjective describing urine. Yeah, I, I think I think we can say Uranus without giggling, although we weren't able to. I think we could talk about Uranus <laughs> all day without giggling. See, <laughs> everyone loves Uranus. See, there you go. Uh, yeah, it's out beyond the orbit of, of it's, you know, it's, it's trans-Neptonian. It's farther than the, the furthest planet. Okay. But it's still technically part of the solar system because it's, it's attracted by the gravity of the sun. So is this maybe where the Millennium Falcon went into a, like a meteor and there was that giant worm inside? John, I shouldn't have to explain this to you. The Star Wars is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far oh, away. Oh, right, right, right. Far, right. far away. Okay. Not just uh, elsewhere I'm in our sorry. solar system. I'm sorry, you're right. That, it was a... Okay, so it came from the Oort cloud. Which is actually my, the name of my autobiography. It came from the Oort cloud. <laughs> Occasionally, the Oort cloud is perturbed by gravity, you know, nearby stars. I think there's even, I think the pull of the Milky Way itself creates a tide which can disrupt stuff. Huh. Um, and stuff can start getting pulled in to an orbit in the inner planets. And that's when, occasionally, we see a comet here on Earth. Yeah, it gets dislodged and then all of a sudden is on a collision course with the, the, the center of our solar system. Sure, it's heading in towards the inner planets. And historically, People have not been into this. Comets are, in history, are omens of doom. Harbingers of They're bad They're harbingers. Yeah, and maybe that's true in your time as well, futurelings. I don't know what kind of superstitions you have about comets. Right. But in human history, you know, a comet was linked with uh, the Black Death. The, the, fall, the I think Halley's Comet arrived the same year the temple in Jerusalem fell in 70 AD. Mm -hmm. The Black Death. Uh, the Norman Conquest. Coincided with Halley's Comet? Yeah, or? You, you can see Halley's Comet. It's it's in the bio tapestry that's been, the, you know, the, the famous yeah. uh, embroidered version of the Battle of Hastings. Halley's Comet is up there. Like, they saw that as an important sign of, of the defeat because comets were thought of as bad news. The historian Nicetus referred to Halley's Comet at one point as a twisting serpent whose gaping mouth lusts for human blood. Hmm. Which seems a little speculative. I, I mean, I, I should say, although I mean, it's a small, it's a small white hyphen in the sky, and this guy insists upon seeing a twisting serpent lusting for blood. So, in the Middle Ages, there had been considerable astronomical advance, but that wasn't really disseminated among the sort of normals. And they wouldn't have, and nobody would have had the tools to know what these things were. Right. You know, they're just wandering stars. They come and they don't do the things we expect and they go. But in 1973 slash four, we had a lot more power to observe outer space and uh, to have a sense of what these things were. So why were we so agitated about it? This was sort of the opposite. I don't think we were afraid of it. People were very, very excited. And I think there was some scientific reason for that. It was, as it was coming in, it was coming, heading towards the sun when we first spotted it, which means, by the way, that nobody could see the tail. Oh, uh, oh, because it was, uh, it was obscured behind the face. 
Right. People imagine the tail of a comet, um, you know, maybe follows out behind it because we're accustomed to the idea that it flies like a rocket. Right, like a contrail. Right. But okay. it actually is being, it's opposite the direction where the, of the sun is shooting at it. Right? That is correct. Yeah. Yes. Like the, the direction of a comet's tail has nothing to do with its motion. It could be perpendicular to the axis of travel. It could actually be coming uh, ahead of the comet, as it were. Um, because the comet is not, the tail is not formed by the motion of the comet. It's, it's the solar wind coming from the sun with ionized gases, you know, blowing and melting stuff off the head of the comet, which is just a lump of dust and ice, frozen gases. So all we could see is just a, just a light dot we see approaching, a dot. But, but we a, know it's going to put on a show. Right. And uh, apparently there's ways to measure just how fast it's, it's burning off ammonia and methane or whatnot. And it's going to be good. You know, it's burning up a lot of stuff. And so the scientific community starts making announcements to the people about what a spectacle this is going to be in December and January when it finally shows up. It's going to be so bright you can see it in the daytime, possibly. The tail is going to measure fully one-sixth of the sky. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. So this is what I remember from being a kid. People talking about this thing coming and it was going to light up the night. It's going to knock our socks off. There were actually warnings, you know, you're going to want to look at it in the day, but watch out because the sun's very bright. We don't want anybody hurting their retinas looking at Comet Kohotek. And I think, uh, I think part of it was that it was new and unexpected. Like just by freak chance, it had been discovered right before it was heading to us. So suddenly it's like, there's a new comet that nobody's known about. You know, Halley's Comet is a, it's on a cycle, 76 right. years. It's like cicadas. We, we expect it. This is some new guy as you know, six months after it's discovered, it's going to be here for the first time. So there's some sense of, of novelty and adventure. Well, and to put it in context, right, this was the, the peak era of our fascination with space. We were still going to the moon at this point in time. Right. It was right at the end of the Apollo program. But that was, I mean, that was just the culmination of really a, a span of only 15 years that we had been actively pursuing space a flight and exploration. Skylab was in the sky? Skylab's one and two had already launched. And at the time that Kotech was first spotted, Skylab three was being prepped. And I think NASA sort of sensing an ebbing of public interest in space sees a sexy new uh, uh, mascot and says, guess what? Skylab 3 is going to be all about Kohotech, your favorite kids. <laughs> so NASA rebrands Skylab 3 as doing all kinds of comet studying oh, no stuff. And, uh, and everyone's very excited. We're going to put some people in orbit. Skylab unorbiting scientific space station, the first of its of kind, at least American. Right. And everyone's very excited that NASA's going to put three guys in space just to look at Kohotech, our new friend from beyond the stars. 
Uh, the tail we have found, uh, as it becomes more foreshortened uh, to us, uh, became much wider. And uh, uh, let me uh, let me give you uh, figures that are relative to the display we have on the ATM. I would say that the uh, coma, the bright coma, was approximately one eighth to three sixteenths of an inch in diameter. And uh, I would say that the tail that we could see, however foreshortened. Uh, extended only about one quarter inch away from the coma and uh, spread like a fan to uh, approximately three-eighths of an inch at its out, uh, outermost end. Wow. So this it really was like a perfect storm of interest in uh, looking up at the sky. And uh, yeah, so science profits, you know, sci- people in science and astronomy to this day are forever overhyping things in the hopes of getting funding. people interested in, yeah, in getting their projects funded. And it's a double-edged sword, you know? Like, right, because there's some super expectation of it. Have you noticed this thing now where on social media, people will overhype, tonight the moon is going to be, you know, 8% bigger than usual, or, you know, <laughs> this is the first time Venus has been this close to Mars since last April, you know, <laughs> and everyone's got to go outside and look at these very, very minor celestial happenings. Well, and that, in my experience, has been true of almost every big meteor shower, the Perseids, even when Halley's Comet was here, it was uh, an experience where you went out, looked up, saw a smudge, and, you know, kind of did a Clark Griswold of like, one, two, three, okay, kids, let's go back in the house. Other than the Northern Lights, I really have never seen an astronomical experience that truly blew me away, including eclipses, both of the sun and moon. You, you, uh, you've seen a total solar eclipse? I was in a totality one time in Romania, and at the last second, a cloud came across the face oh, of the sun. Oh, man. The sky grew dark. The animals all went and put themselves to bed. There was that weird vibrating super light but you were in the one pasture that had a cloud. I was standing there you. with my little paper glasses in the in a, a farmyard with a little Romanian family looking up and then the totality passed and then the cloud passed. And we were all we just looked at each other like, well, that was really I mean it was still amazing, but our opportunity to see something truly groovy was So we're in this jaded post-Vietnam post-Watergate generation where even the heavens disappoint us, I guess. <laughs> and Kotek is actually the beginning of that story of people being let down by everything. Uh, <laughs> William Sapphire in the New York Times wrote as Kotek was approaching, in a future age when the names of Nixon and Brezhnev are dimly remembered and those of Irvin and Mitchell and Dean are minor footnotes in scholarly treatises. Those future links, those are Watergate conspirators. Watergate conspirators. I guess you, Irvin is an investigator. You can be forgiven for not knowing who they are. Although you should know who Nixon and Brezhnev are. Luckily, uh, John and I do not live in a time when we have to know the names of the president's weaselly, uh, venal, corrupt friends. That's not a problem anymore. So, 1973 so, only. Some of us do just because we have a lot of time on our hands. <laughs> uh, so uh, Sapphire says, even when Nixon and Brezhnev and all these people are forgotten, the name and discovery that will illuminate the year 1973 will be Lubos Kohotek. Isn't that ins- uh, astonishing? He predicted that, you know, there'd be boulevards named for Lubos Kohotek. Can you, I don't want to jump ahead, but this feels very familiar, this sort of overhyping of a thing that's going to be remembered forever, and then it turns out to be 
like a little bit of a dud. Yeah, and, as a species, we're terrible at knowing what persists, right? Yeah, we, we're constantly saying like, this is going to be the one for the ages. And I, I, I'm having a hard time even remembering examples of what I'm trying to describe. There's a trial of the century every six months now. Right. They can't all be the trial of the century. I, I've had the experience of looking back at bestsellers from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, they are not the classics that are read today. All these things sold 10 million copies and nobody cares at all. Luckily, you and I have this project to finally make an authoritative and correct listing of what need be remembered. Right. And I feel like in the annals of uh, early 21st century podcasts, this is going to be the one that stands in for the whole genre. Sure. Right. This will be the one in your textbook. <clears throat> yeah. You know? right, right now, the shows that are popular are like Mark Maron and, uh, and what's that? What's that dingling from the, uh, from the old, he was like on a TV show with, uh, <laughs> Chris Hardwick. Name? No, Chris Hardwick. No, no, he's not a dingling. No, the guy, uh, what am I trying to say? He was, uh, he was like the second banana on a, on a TV show where they had girls in bikinis bouncing on trampolines. Uh, Adam Carolla. Adam Carolla. Thank you. I'm he's a very popular podcaster now. But he, you're saying he will not be anthologized. Futurelings aren't going to remember him. He's going to be like the pulp pulp uh, novelist of the 1920s. But we'll be like To Kill a Mockingbird or, or, Moby Dick. or The we're Raven. The, we're, we're the thing that every kid has to read. That's right. But kids always hate the thing they have to read. Well, that's right, too. Yeah. <laughs> kids will hate us, and then they'll discover Adam Carolla and be like, hey, check this out. He'll be like Kerouac to them. <laughs> yeah, right. He'll be like Catcher in the Rye. So this was like a big, big, big deal 1974 they're going to name boulevards after cahote yeah everyone in late 1973 is convinced this is going to be the biggest thing the qe2 uh, sets sail for cruisers in the north atlantic for comet comet observation Oof. with with a record 1673 people aboard Oof. dr cahote himself is invited although he gets jet lag and spends most of the trip sick in his cabin and isaac asimov science fiction writer who is a bit of a you know, get about, you know, yep. raconteur, uh, bon vivant type. Likes going to parties. He he gets in front of everybody and uh, ad-libs about what combat <laughs> Asimov would be like. Um, I, I know from uh, personal experience as a uh, rock and roller that no small number of rock albums of the era were named after Cahote. Let's talk about that. What do you got? Uh, so there was... Uh, Sun Ra had a concert, the concert for Kohotek. Was this a benefit? Is, uh, this like, is this like the concert for Bangladesh? <laughs> Children are dying in Kohotek. I think that probably Sun Ra took the cash. I think Sun Ra probably believed Kotek was an actual uh, alien planet that he was doing a benefit for. The, uh, he, I bet he thought that they were going to go <laughs> live on it. Um, the first ever single of Kraftwerk. Yes, Kraftwerk's first single. Kohotek. Uh, or Kohotek Kometen Melody. As the fans call it. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see. Argent. Uh, that's had, uh, the zombies uh, side project, right? <laughs> they, that's right. They had three tracks, which were like a song cycle. A suite? A suite of music inspired by Kohotek. Uh, the songs were The Coming of Kohotek, and then Once Around the Sun, and then concluding with Infinite Wanderer. 
We should talk about like how uh, Rocket this time loved space so much. The first Hawkwind concert in America, you know, famed British space rock mm-hmm. supergroup Hawkwind, was actually held at the Hayden Planetarium at this time. Really? Because of course it was. Of course. And their opener was some long-haired scientist who tried to dazzle the crowd with predictions of what Comet Kohotek was going to do. Really? Yes. And the crowd was insanely bored and started yelling, Hawkwind, <laughs> as this poor guy tried to talk about Kohotek. Well, it wasn't just the the sort of um, avant-garde. It was also Journey had a uh, had an instrumental song, Kohotek, on their debut record. So even big stadium rockers Journey got involved. That's how, that's how you know it's reached the people. When right. when Kohotek hits Journey. That's right. One other thing. Pink Floyd of course had a, a like a live record which was a bootleg but still a live record called the in celebration of the comet the coming of kohotek and it was where they debuted the dark side of the moon wow at their live show the coming of kohotek Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com slash start now john you're a uh extremely popular beloved musician in our era can you can you explain the early 70s fascination with space among high rockers I've thought about this a lot over time, not just among rockers, but like culturally how, because I was a little kid during this period and space and the idea that we were, that this was an inevitable progression, right? From Kennedy's exclamation in the very early sixties that we were going to put a man on the moon by the end of the sixties to the time I was born in 68, just prior to, to the great step for mankind, to the great step for mankind. So I actually, and I'm an artifact from a, from a long ago time before we had walked on the moon. But it seemed that we had made all this progress in 10 years and that that same pace of exploration was going to continue unabated. That was the new timescale of humanity. This was it. We had gone from being astonished that we could put people on the moon to doing it sort of as a matter of course. Like how many, how many Americans have walked on the surface of the moon? Do you know? Yeah, just 12. 12. Would have been 14 if Apollo 13 had had, you know, better oxygen tanks or something. But still, 12 
is an awful lot of people to have accomplished that journey, which was, I mean, technologically like unimaginably complicated. And it really did create the idea that America could just do anything if it just put its mind to it. You right. know, a few years later, oh yeah, the moon, sure. Sure, we're going to go stand on the moon. And then, although the space shuttle was uh, like a garbage compromise of all the great ideas that had been put forth as our next thing, like it, well, there were all these fantastic space planes in development and we ended up with this school bus uh, space shuttle because of political pressure. And, and because obviously like the space program is an enormous expense and we could be spending that money on army cars, sure. army cars and army guns. You could get a fighter and a half for what the space shuttle costs. But at the time, particularly like in the, I mean, in the arts, but across the spectrum of like our cultural world in the early seventies, when we had real social unrest in the country, right? Like uh, the election in 1972 uh, George Wallace ran on an openly white supremacist ticket. There were riots in all of the major cities. People were abandoning the urban core. New York City was was becoming like a crime-ridden and uninhabitable. Bombed out hellhole. Yeah, we didn't. As it probably is in your day, listener. Sorry, no offense. <laughs> so it seemed like we were losing control of the earth. Things were terrible here. And there was this utopian possibility in space. And of course, like space rockers or, or progressive rockers also had aspirations to be intellectuals. And so I think all of those song suites that we're describing, um, I, I think now when we think of the future, we think of a sort of dystopian Blade Runner-y kind of sure. future where cockroaches are, are sentient and listening to podcasts. No offense, guys. But at the time, it seemed like we were going to create a space civilization and leave behind our decrepit planet. Like within a decade, we could be in the gleaming space city of a Yes album cover. Right. Like when people looked at Prague covers, they were really thinking, maybe that's my first apartment. You I know? mean, think about the cover of Boston's first album, where a city sure. under a dome is on top of a guitar, which is also a spaceship. So many kids saw that and thought, that's for me. Like that's th it. That was actually a real estate aspiration for them. Yeah. Well, uh, it wasn't just music. Yeah, Pinnacle Books sold 750,000 copies of a Kohotek-themed quickie paperback <laughs> with, you know, holiday recipes and <laughs> thoughts about Kohotek, I guess. Planetariums are getting thousands of calls a day to their celestial update line. This is all before Kohotek has arrived. Kohotek has not even appeared yet. Everybody, nobody can wait. Wow. And, uh, but, but the promise has been that uh, it'll be at its closest right around Christmas, December 28th. And then in January, there's going to be some dark skies and it's going to be perfect. And it becomes very clear by December that this is not panning out. Uh, because Kotick is a first time comet, you know, making its first appearance. It's a long period comet. It's not Halley's Comet. It's not a, it's not a shuttle bus. It's not a local. Uh, it's making its first appearance in our space in tens of thousands of years. It had a lot to burn off. And it burned off very quickly. <laughs> and by the time it passed the sun and came out the other side, there was just not much going on anymore. So if you'd been watching Kohotek from the other side of the sun, it might have been quite a show. Yes. If there's some parallel counter-Earth with bizarro analogs of all of us that is exactly opposite the sun from us right now, they probably have the Kohotek-based lifestyle that William Sapphire envisioned. <laughs> <laughs> but we do not. Here... Kirkahotek is a buzzword for fizzle and disappointment because all the cruises were terrible. Um, 
people aboard the QE2, you know, they tried to keep up a party attitude and, you know, they were told that even what, well, you know, even if we don't see the comet, it's still all about the camaraderie. This is an adventure much like Woodstock, to which one cruise goer said, at least Woodstock was free. Oh, burn. <laughs> Take that, uh, Cunard cruise lines. Um, so how long did the, did Cahotec's visible visit to the world last? It was just a sort of blurry smudge in the night sky for a very short period of time. And many, most people who live near cities found that they could not see it anyway. You know, that people were shocked to discover that Long Island just had too much light pollution and they were never going to see even the little blur that was. This was my experience as a kid standing out with people pointing up at the sky and saying, see it, see it. And no one could see it. I read an article from the time where a Harvard astronomer was asked about that. And he said, the problem may be that it never got as bright as it was supposed to. So there you go. Harvard's on it. They figured it all out. Listen, when it comes, when it comes time to have someone explain it to you, it ought to be a Harvard scientist. I really do uh, relate to this. You know, the idea that this hundreds of millions of people were so excited for this exciting dawning thing, you know, and, and at a, at a very tough time for a lot of people, you know, the, the optimism of the 60s had turned into Altamont and the Beatles had broken up and Vietnam and Watergate were only getting worse, you know. And finally, something comes from the heavens and then it just sucks too. It's you a know? dud. Time Magazine quoted some onlooker as just saying, Watergate, then the energy crisis, and now the comet. Like just a trifecta of sucky 70s crap. You know, so it couldn't have come at a worse time for America. And I really relate to that kind of disappointment. Like to me, that's always been one of the the emotions that evokes the most pathos in me is like small disappointment. Like I'll watch a movie where somebody has cancer and I'll be like, Oh, what a shame, you know? Yeah. But I cannot, I'm emotionally incapable of watching a movie where somebody's date doesn't show up for dinner and the candles burn all the way down <laughs> or somebody goes to an airport and the, the person doesn't show and the, the scene ends with flowers in a garbage can. I can't even watch that. Like it really hits something very deep in me. It breaks your heart. It is, and I'm not sure why. Well, there's also that other thing in human beings where, and and this is something I think a lot of people are sort of privately ashamed of, which is that when they hear about disasters, they secretly hope that it's worse than it ends up being. Like every time there's a big earthquake, there's this desire, I think, that is fairly common for it to be the big one. This little part of you is, is, is thinking, oh, I hope this is just some amazing spectacle. And, and so much of our contemporary culture, which hopefully is not the case uh, in the future, is based on apocalypse, uh, including this very podcast. The idea that the future will be inhabited by mindless zombies or that there will be a sort of day after scenario where the laws are are um, making and and upholding institutions are gone. And every single person is sort of in their lawless tribe. Right. And so the comet arriving, like all sort of big celestial events, it feels like maybe this is, um, maybe they always, the ancients were right. Maybe these are harbingers of destruction. Maybe this is the thing that will create like giant apes that go to war with humans. This happened in the year 1000, by the way. And in the year 2000, uh, you know, right. People expected the end of the world, either by computer virus or Jesus, you know, pick your means. Well, you think about the Hale-Bopp comet and how, uh, uh, you know, it activated 
all these cults, including the one. Sure. People are still killing themselves over a particular comet. Yeah. An accidental comet. Accidental comet. After all these musicians, you know, had immortalized the, the hope offered by Comet Kohotek, really the only band that was smart enough, because they didn't exist yet, was wise enough to hold off their take was R.E.M. Hmm. On their 1985 album, Fables of the Reconstruction. Fully 10 to 12 years later. Yes. They finally offered the definitive musical take on Kotek. It might be my favorite R.E.M. record. It's a great record. Are you a murmur guy? Are you a document guy? Uh, that whole era, I do not think there's a single bad note in all that REM. And partly it is the um, operating principle of the band was that each band member, when in the studio, would ask for their part to be turned down. Right. Unlike every other band in history. Unlike Kraftwerk and Journey and Pink Floyd. No, they they would sit in the studio and when, when the other guys were out of the room, they would lean forward and say to the producer, can you turn me down a little bit? And that was the great era of R.E.M., a completely selfless unity where every part was just sort of blended and, uh, and indistinguishable from every other part. But then Michael Stipe discovered consonants. Oh, my God. Somebody told took, him to turn his vocals up. He took elocution lessons for three months. The end. And everything went to <laughs> hell as it often does. But before that, when he was just kind of mumbling, uh, R.E.M. wrote their song Kohotek, which uses the disappointment of the fizzled comet as a symbol for a, a dead relationship. You know, two ships that passed in the night didn't go anywhere. Stipe saying, and I think this is right, although I spent a lot of 80s listening to this with my ear against the speakers and I still don't know if the lyrics are right. She carried ribbons, she wore them out. Courage build a bridge, jealous tore it down. At least it's something you've left behind. Like Kohotek, you were gone. And that concludes... Kohotek, entry 692.ju0113, certificate number 31644, in the omnibus. In the unlikely event social media still exists in your era, futurelings, our tweets are archived at at Omnibus Project. Our respective handles on Twitter were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. Please follow us both and comment on everything we say, if you're a time traveler. Or if Twitter still exists and has not been the mechanism that has actually ended the world, as seems increasingly likely in our time. It could be both things. It could be Skynet. Yes, uh, if Twitter has become sentient, and in fact we are speaking to Twitter, please follow us. Please follow us, Twitter. Please do not destroy our timelines. <laughs> you can, in the future, if this is all true, go back and fave our tweets from thousands of years ago. That would be incredibly gratifying. Maybe it would change history. Maybe it would make us the kings of Twitter in your era. I'm kind of already the king of Twitter. A very small corner of Twitter. The coolest corner. Cool Twitter? Is that your... Uh, cool Twitter. Is that your niche? <laughs> yeah, cool Twitter. Uh, I also maintained an Instagram account uh, because I am very handsome and I like to take selfies. Do you feel uh, Instagram is cool Twitter? Instagram was cool Twitter. And now there's uncool Instagram and cool Instagram. Because all the normies came rushing in. Yeah, they sure did. My Instagram account is also at John Roderick. If you have the technology to email us wherever you are in time, please 
email at us, email at us, or at email us at <laughs> omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Future listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our current civilization will survive. It's possible that ill harbingers of doom are approaching our skies even now. Comets we haven't even seen yet. Uh, we hope and pray that's not true, that the comets will stay in the Oort cloud for a little bit longer and the worst may never come. But if it does come sooner, this particular recording, like every other recording in this project, may be our final word to you. We hope that's not true. We hope that Providence will allow us to be with you again soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.